You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Welcome to A Step Further, weekly podcast of Kingsway Christian Church. My name is Andy Lynch, Connections Pastor here at Kingsway. Derek Hughes, spinning the dials, is with us, as is Matt Nickerson, lead pastor here at Kingsway. And we are just so excited to continue to dive deeper into our series, Asking for a Friend. Matt, you always have so much that you've processed through, so many different sources you've read and listened to, and especially in this series, it's so good to sit down and and, and take a part, a part of our topic and go deeper. And so earlier in the series, uh, we talked about what happens when I die. We hit a little bit on hell and what hell might be like. We, we don't know for sure about heaven and hell, but... We, we get some glimpses, and so today we, we told you we're going to talk about heaven. And so aren't you happy? You just get to sit back, and we'll talk about heaven today, Matt. This this could be one of those topics you can, like, hey, let's look at what the scriptures say. Now let's dream. And uh, I've got, the, I'll do a little bit of that if I get a chance today. Like, let's just dream for a second. Yeah, it's an exciting topic for everybody. I mean, we, we've Americanized it in so many ways. Oh, so a taste true. of heaven. It, this feels like heaven, those types of things. Peace, I guess, is the first word that comes to mind. What comes to mind first, you know, as you study heaven, as you've read about it, as you heard about it? Well, actually, one of the passages uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, Paul quotes Isaiah. I didn't write down which passage is Isaiah. I think it's like chapter 43 or something like that, 44. But he says, um, however it is written, no eye has seen what no ear has heard and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. And you think, man, like here's Paul looking forward to whatever that day when Jesus returns is. And he's like, it's right now your biggest, wildest dream can't touch it. And that's when I go, well, let's try. <laughs> let's have some fun with that. I got some ideas. I got some thoughts. <laughs> let's see if Paul's up to it. <laughs> it's funny because I used to speak to a lot of high school kids and, and you know, you're trying to engage with them and have fun like you did when you were a youth pastor. And, and I'd say, you know, I, we have a sonic we did in Ohio and I just love going to Sonic and I love the slushy. And I think of, I think of a big fountain and I just stick my head in the fountain and it's that slushy drink, but you just think the flavor you want in your head and it turns that in your mouth. And I Weezing said, that's what heaven's like. There's a movie reference. Do you know that one? I do not. Oh, it's Encino man. Wheezing the juice. Man, anyway, that's been a long time. I know. I know. He's sticking his head into the slushy <laughs> yeah, machine. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Anyway. That's yeah. Awesome. I'm, I'm, I don't know if I should be excited. Like, wow, what if heaven was like that? Or if I should be like, really? That's the biggest you could think of? I, uh, but, I, you know, I, I think that's the way we think very much so. Like, mm. what would be the best day here? How do I multiply it there? Like, the Browns never lose. That. Could you imagine that? No. <laughs> <laughs> Neither can any Browns fan. <laughs> this is their year, Matt. Anyway. <laughs> Three and three, man. We're doing it. We're doing it. So heaven. Yeah. What do we see in scripture? How much does scripture talk about heaven? So that's a good question. In the New Testament, the concept, the word heaven is used 276 times. Wow. Yeah. In I had no New idea, Testament did you? alone, no. Yeah, in the New Testament alone. So again, this is a developing thought. This is so developing that in Jesus' day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees fought all the time about the resurrection of the dead. Mm. One group believes that there will be, the other group believes there won't be. And we see this consistently. Actually, <laughs> uh, our elders right now are reading through the book of Acts. And uh, last week, we actually get to a text where Paul starts a fight between the Pharisees and the Sadducees to distract them from killing him, essentially, really. Yeah. It's like he, he disrupts this whole thing with, oh, by the way, you know, they're like, what? And they start yelling at each other, uh, which tells you it's not super, super clear in the Old Testament. 
And yet, what we start to see, let's start with the Old Testament for a minute, is God starts to speak of people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as if, though they aren't here anymore, they're not gone. Like he says things like, um, um, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He doesn't say, I was the God, as in it's a past tense. He says it in the present tense. And many Pharisees and even scholars, you know, God is implying something when he says it the way he's saying it. There's, there's an indirect statement. These men, though, aren't here. They are still alive. And I'm still their God. And so there's like, well, what does that mean, right? And so it it develops more into the New Testament. And I think that if I could just give one verse, and so nobody gets confused, and I actually read this verse in my sermon, but in John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus is praying in John 17. He's praying in the garden. This is just before he's crucified. And so we're listening in on his prayer, and he says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Mm. And Jesus is praying that so that the disciples get to eavesdropped and that prayer is recorded for us. And I think, okay, let's not mistake whatever exactly heaven, everything else we're going to talk about from here, whatever exactly it is, it is ultimately about being with, being known by, being in the presence of, having God, our Father, having Jesus, our Savior, being with him for eternity. That's eternal life. Mm. Wow. That, we could end now. Yeah, there you go, right? <laughs> yeah. But that brings up a great question. Like, why is that even powerful? Yeah. Like, you, you know, you start to think about that. So uh, let's hold off for that for a minute. Let, let me lay some other uh, foundational things for a second. Okay. So uh, in Second Corinthians chapter 5, uh, Paul writes this, verse 6. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. So sometimes Paul's confusing, right? But just make it really simple. As long as we're here, we're not there. Right. Okay, well, that... That's easy enough, right? So as long as we're home in this body, we're away from the Lord. Verse seven, for we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and home with the Lord. Mm -hmm. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. Again, he's very repetitive here. It's very, very simple. Paul's saying, look, it'd be better for you to be out of this body Mm -hmm. and to be at home with the Lord than it would be to be here. So the first thing we extrapolate from that before we get to the the last part, which which is a good part, but the thing we extrapolate from that is we are going to be dislodged from this body. It's a shell. What I like to say at funerals when I know the person and it's funny is um, the shell has stayed behind. The nut has gone home. And uh, <laughs> that works when you're friends with the person right. you're doing the funeral for. And everybody's like, ha, ha, ha. He was a nutty kind of person. But the reality is when we start begging God to heal our loved ones of whatever various disease is killing them, I mean, there does come a point where the believer goes, I'm good. Right? Like, I'm good. And there's a reason that Paul could say it's better to be away from the body. Mm -hmm. He's giving confidence to us. Where you're going is better than here. So let it go, right? And one word that stood out there, Matt, was home. Home. Oh, yeah. You get to go home. So You want to go home, right? Yeah, right? (laughs) If home is a good place for you. Right. So you think about, you know, one of these other podcasts we recorded, go back and listen, is what if home wasn't a good place for you? Yeah, yeah. But again... Whatever no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind comprehended what the Lord has in store. So throw out whatever bad image of home you've got and imagine a home with a loving father, Mm. right? A safe place, always provided for, never hungry, never in need, never out of time. He's never busy, always available. You know what I mean? Like what is the best of home and multiply it by infinity. And I think even if, you know, we have a bad home life, we've thought of a bad home life. We have an idea of what we'd like it to be, right? We, we, we know, yeah, that would be a good home. We see it in a movie. We see our friends that, oh, they seem to have a really good home. And then you can, you can multiply that exponentially because home's better where you're going. 
And what we tend to, you said earlier in the podcast, so uh, we have these American divisions of whatever our home is going to be, right? <laughs> so like, you know, so now what are we talking about? Everybody talks about, well, I'm going to get, you know, my mansion in heaven. I'm going to my crown or whatever, you know, right. and some people picture like clouds with harps and, you know, angels sitting around or flinging. <laughs> well, like we become these little fat angels with wings who Don't shoot. Don't tell me that's not <laughs> real, man. <Matt. laughs> well, if I'm going to be an angel, I'd like to be a fat one, right? <laughs> now, right. right. I worked too hard here not to be, so I might as well be there. But anyway, uh, it, so... You know, the, the idea of mansions is totally a man, American made, whatever thing. Mm. I, I'm not, I'm not an expert what I'm about to say. It may come out of the KJV, which is actually a, a poor translation of, of what the concept actually says. Jesus actually says in my father's house, there are many rooms. Uh -huh. And so I'll go prepare a place for you. He doesn't actually say, I'm going to build you a mansion oh, wow. and then you're going to have a bigger mansion based off of what you do or what, you know, that kind of thing. So this is, there's no you know peeing contest where my place is bigger than yours because I did better than you here. That's gotcha. not the concept of heaven. That is not what heaven is about. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I, is that what you had been told or heard your whole life? Or? I, I mean, the old audio adrenaline song, a big house with lots of rooms and you can play football. I mean, that, that's heaven, right? Well, that, it has to be. Football <laughs> has to be in heaven, right? But some version where nobody gets hurt, right? right? This isn't modern day football where right. your favorite players hurt every other week. Yeah. And no one can lose. So how does that work? Yeah, I have this. Okay. Let's go there for a Please second. Please do. Yeah. So... I have thought about this um, a lot. Do you remember, I can't remember the name of the movie, um, Chariots of Fire? Sure. And he says something like, there's this key line, uh, God, I feel God's pleasure when I run, yes. something yeah. like that. And, yeah. and again, many preachers have preached on this, but the whole concept of, you ever notice there are certain people that are just super fast and you watch them and you're in awe. I, I don't know about you, but I'm not really jealous that they're like super, super fast. I'm not, I, I'd love to be super, super fast, but I'm okay that they're super, super fast. I'm okay that I'm good at other things. Mm -hmm. What, what if heaven was like literally watching the, just the fastest people eternity, like racing together and, and at the end of it, like they're all high-fiving each other. It's not, it's about, not about winners and huh. losers. It's about us going out and having a blast yeah. running hard and other people just going, let's stop what we're doing and just watch this race. Wow. You know what I mean? That's powerful. Do you ever get to the end of Field of Dreams? And I know it's a Hollywood movie. I'm not saying heaven's like that. But you get to the end of Field of Dreams and they're just a bunch of guys playing a game together. Mm -hmm. It's not about who won, right? It was about the time spent together. Imagine games in heaven like that. Yeah, no scoreboard. Right. Or if there is a scoreboard, who cares? You just play. We'll see you again tomorrow. Is there a tomorrow? I don't know. There's no sun. <laughs> we'll get to tomorrow? that. <laughs> but you, you start to dream about what would it be like? How much of our life here is driven by winners and losers? Right. How much of our life is driven by accumulation, overworking out of fear or anxiety or having enough or being enough or doing enough or whatever it is. And, um, and so, you know, the, this whole, especially American culture is built around competition. What would it be like to live in a world where I never want you to lose? I never want you to lose. Mm -hmm but I'm always going to do my best and you're always going to do your best. And nobody cares if I beat you because it's not about beating you. Yeah, It's about just the joy of being together and playing. Does that make sense? When I, when I was with fellowship Christian athletes, I mean, one thing we told coaches was you go play ball. You don't work ball. Oh yeah. The play God made us to play. He made us to, to have enjoyment and to be creative. And we've made it an adult thing where, you, you yeah. know, we want to win and we want scholarships and all those things. And so we'd, we'd key home with high school coaches that your kids got to play. They got to have fun. They're going to be more right. loose. So you're going to see the the byproduct of play right. versus work. And, right. you know, you see that all the way up to the pro level a lot of times. But what, what a neat concept that maybe we still will have football in heaven. If, if you take nothing else out of this <laughs> podcast today, 
Maybe there's football. Okay, so let's let's <laughs> go here for a second. Let me read one last passage before we get into uh, Revelation, where we get a view of heaven. But in Corinthians again, in Second Corinthians, it, context is king. One of my col- college professors used to say, and uh, so the context of what Paul's doing is Paul's written a second letter now. Maybe even this is possibly a third letter. We just don't have one. Or anyway, there's debate on that. Not to sidetrack us, but. In this letter, he's really frustrated by the Corinthian church. Like, they're questioning his love, they're questioning his faithfulness, they're questioning his character and integrity, and he keeps trying to write to them to, like, t- like what? No, why would you question me? Look at everything I've done. So, in, like, chapter 11 and 12, he's, in Second Corinthians, he is going through, look, I've been shipwrecked, I've been beaten, I've been left for dead, I've been at this, I've been this, I've been this, and he's calling it boasting. He's like, look, you you are listening to all these voices out there telling you how great they are because of their great ministry. When I was with you, I chose not to have a great ministry. I chose not to do a bunch of miracles, a bunch of signs, because I wanted you to receive Jesus and not the sign itself, right? So then he gets into chapter 12, and it's funny because he says, like, uh, in verse 1, he says, I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on divisions, revelations from the Lord. Again, what's ironic is he's like, I'm not going to boast, but I will give you one more. (laughs) And I love it because his first boast is, I've suffered more than anybody. That's his boast. But then he goes on and he says this, it's powerful, verse two, I know a man. Now we know Paul's talking about himself. It's like, right? It's like, it's a humble brag. I I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Okay, so let's unpack that. What is the third heaven? There's three heavens. Okay, so in the Hebrew thought, um, there's the first heaven, which would be like the sky where the birds fly, right? The second heaven would be like space where the planets are. The third heaven is the abode of God. Does that make sense? So. Paul's saying, I, I, call, I was called up to this third location, this other place, this other heaven where God is. And then he goes on, he says, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. So in other words, I don't know if this was a vision, like my literally here on earth and God showed me, or did God actually separate me? The nut left the shell and now I'm in the presence of God. I don't know. I honestly can't tell you. I only know what I experienced from there. Um, that's part of the reason we know he's talking about himself because um, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. <laughs> God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. Wow. Now, that's the same Paul who in his first book, in 1 Corinthians, you know, said, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. So he's saying, look, I saw some things. I heard some things. And they were unbelievable. Unbelievable. And they're inexpressible. Like, I, I, I literally don't know how to put into words what I saw. So what did he see? Right? And then if you're tracking with me, what he saw, will that be different than what we will see? And the reason I say that is, um, oh, well, if you heard my sermon on Sunday, this is following that, that Sunday. There is a thing called Hades and Paradise. So when we die, we will, if you are elect, if you are saved, you will go to paradise. If you are a separate from the Lord here, you will go into Hades. It's not purgatory. You're never moving out of that. There's no prayer or sacrifice or offering anybody can make to move you from one to the other. It's a fixed location, but it's where you will be prior to the return of Jesus and the final white throne judgment. So that being said, when Jesus comes, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Right. So what Whatever exactly that will be, it will be different than what Paul saw and experienced. Okay, because sure. what Paul saw and experienced is either he's the word paradise is used there, is either that or wherever it is. It's somehow the presence of the Lord, but it's not what we will one day have. Mm. Am I making sense? You got yes. any questions, thoughts so far? 
No, I, but I think a lot of us just think there's heaven yeah, and that's where we go. Right. And it all somehow works out to be the same place in the end that we don't think about the new heaven, and the new earth very often. Well, let's go there for a second. So that's, that's where I think we could conclude our time today. So if you go to the end of the Bible and what you will see, if you study the book of Revelation, they're not going to do a whole study. You don't have time for that. Are you sure? I, I'm very, <laughs> very sure. But what you will see is the Bible ends where it begins. And so we find ourselves at the beginning of the Bible. Um, God's creating everything. Uh, the sun, the moon, and the stars aren't created until I think it's day four. And yet somehow vegetation is created on day two or three. I'm trying to remember the order of things now. And so God is the one who is sustaining the life. Like he is the life force that is sustaining life here on earth. Well, we get to the end and we see the same thing, except there's a new heaven and a new earth. The old way has gone away. A new way has come. So let me just read some of that for you. Ready? Revelation 21. It says, John has his vision, right? And he said, whether he's in the body or the body, I do not know. But he says this, verse one, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Well, okay. Why is that a big deal? Well, the sea in ancient cosmology was this chaotic place. Uh, imagine you're an ancient person. You don't necessarily have the technology of today. Many of your friends, neighbors, loved ones, people, you know, they died at sea, right? The sea comes up with these tsunamis and it destroys things. You know, they didn't have satellites perhaps to predict the things that we can today, but it's just this chaotic thing. You can't control it. You can't build technology big enough to even, and weigh it in. It just, when it floods, it floods. And when it ruins, it ruins and it destroys. And so part of what John is saying here is heaven's going to be a place where the natural disasters of this world are calm. Does that make sense? So one of the questions I get a lot is, you know, uh, are natural disasters, um, God punishing or natural disasters, just God's world is out of control. He can't do anything about it. And what I would say is the scriptures are, are grayer than we want them to be in that occasionally God uses natural disasters to accomplish a judgment or a purpose on his earth. But Romans eight, where Paul says, you know, should anything separate us from the love of God? No. And he says, all of creation is groaning. It's like, it's, it's crying out for release from sin. And so there is this thing about like, somehow our sin has impacted not just the earth, but the entire cosmos. That's the world for like the, everything created and known the universe, everything. Somehow our sin here has impacted every part of God's universe. So is it out of God's control? No. Occasionally God, uses it. But most of the time, sin has ruined things. Things aren't working the way they're supposed to. So now when Paul says that in Revelation, he's saying sin has been removed. So therefore things are working the way they were supposed to be working. Wow. Does that make sense? Yeah. Does it? Okay. Like a huge concept I'm dropping it down now. Big concept. But yeah. imagine yeah. no more tornadoes. Right. Imagine no more volcanoes. Imagine no more earthquakes. You know, imagine no more cancer. What like the sea is calm. Wow. There's a statement in that. Everything is at peace. You don't have to be anxious about those things. You know, if those things are happening, it's to show off the power and the might and majesty of God. There's no fear in it. I mean, so, even in our, I'll go out on the beach when, you know, I'm on vacation, even at night, I'm on the beach, but you don't know what's going on out there. It's a big, scary place. And so exactly to think of peace and calm is a big step. The created order is the way it's supposed to be again. Yeah. All right, so it goes on. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. The new Jerusalem, the heavenly city, is actually the people, the bride of Christ. Mm. It's not a literal city coming down. Yeah. 
it is the people of God now. They are coming down. So I, I don't, this is where I want to be careful. I don't press too much literal meaning into Revelation, but it would appear that as God is setting up a new heaven and a new earth, the people are coming back to populate the earth. Yeah. Whatever exactly coming back means, right? right? <laughs> whatever the dead are <laughs> raising in Christ, whatever exactly is happening, something new is happening. Mm. And, the, and then he looks, verse three, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. So if you track in the Bible, Genesis one, God creates everything. Genesis two, he makes Adam. God dwells with Adam. He walks with Adam. Adam is lonely. God gives him Eve. By the time we get to Genesis 3, God comes down out of heaven and walks in the garden with him. And there's this beautiful relationship. And then the fall happens. Well, now what we see is it's being restored. God's with them again. He's dwelling with them again. Because what we see immediately after the fall in Genesis 3 is God had to separate. He had to put a cherubim with a flashing sword to separate himself from, mm -hmm. from the people. Well, Jesus came to come back into the story. So we have an already but not yet right now because Jesus is in us through the Holy Spirit, but it's not permanent. God's dwelling is not here yet. Does that, does that make sense? So heaven, if nothing else, is the place where we will once again dwell with God without anything to separate him and us. Can you imagine from God's perspective, you think back to the garden and it was him, it was Adam, it was Eve. They had intimacy. There was three, they'd walk in the cool of the day. And this day that'll come, there'll be millions walking with God. That's heaven. That's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah. And the next verse is perhaps the most powerful, and it brings up for me a lot of questions. I'm not coming to you with all answers. Sure. I'm coming to you with some answers, some thoughts, and lots of questions. But he says, verse 4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Mm. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne, that's Jesus, said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true, which is a really cool rhyme. But the, the point there is whatever happened here, right? One of the first questions we get is when I get to heaven, will I know if my cousin, my husband, my son, my daughter who didn't believe in Christ, will I know they're not there? Because how am I supposed to experience eternity if I know they're not there? Right. And what I would say is, I don't have an answer for you. What you will remember or won't remember, what you will know or won't know, what I do know with certainty is, he, can you imagine God, the powerful hands that created the universe, taking that thumb in a very gentle way, like a father, a good father would do to his child, and just literally brushing the tear off the cheek. Mm. And the brushing of the tear isn't like a momentary, like you'll be crying again in five minutes. It's somehow representative of, the way he's going to care for us and bind up our wounds. Does that make sense? Yeah. So somehow there will be no more tears. Whatever that means. Will he allow us to forget? Will, will we feel like his judgment was right and therefore it'll be okay? Like, I, I don't understand. If my sons do not trust in Jesus, I don't know how for eternity I'm going to have peace with that. Right. But I do know the scriptures tell me I will. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, you think about marriage and marriage, Jesus said, was, was for this earth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I can only imagine <laughs> what it will be like. We had to bring this song what in, right? I will. <laughs> but I can only imagine we'll be with God. And so everything else will pale in comparison. And we just don't get that down here because our, the things we love most here, we can't imagine being without. Right. But right. we'll be with them. We'll be with love. We will literally be with love. There are passages in the Bible. But I hope like most of our listeners, I hear things and I go, 
what does that mean? That, that's I spend most of my life just being really curious and then going looking into it. And I would say I haven't had time to study everything I want to study, if only. But there's this one point where Paul's encouraging mothers and he says something to the effect of, forgive me, I don't have it in front of me, something to the effect of, um, you know, mothers, by your holiness, your children will believe mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, and then he says something like, through childbearing, um, you will, you know, you will save your families. And it's like, what? <laughs> what in the world? Paul's such a misogynistic, you know, <laughs> jerk. That's not what he's, I, I think what he's saying, as best I could put together in his argument, I think what he's trying to say is, you know, mothers, when you give birth, um, you're fulfilling God's call in your life. And when you live out your holiness, you may have a husband who doesn't believe in him, but through your holiness on the day of Christ's return, your children will be able to praise him. So there's something about you living out your faith that something, I mean, it almost makes faith sound so big, like it can encompass anything. I, it truly takes something as small as a mustard seed, right? Yeah. And it can accomplish more than you think it can accomplish, which I think is intended to give hope to mothers who feel hopeless in their situation. So again, I don't know what to do with all the questions that come up. I only have confidence that the one who will restore all things will wipe every tear from my eye. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. So uh, I have lots of other thoughts, but you tell me, you think that's enough? Should we stop there and put a nice little bow on it? Do you have one more? You just can't, you gotta get out? So if you keep going into Revelation, the answer is yes. If you keep going into Revelation, (laughs) the answer is always yes. yes. I got a lot more. So Revelation 22, let's jump there. And verse one, John writes, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal. Again, why is that important? Same thing, chaotic waters, right? As clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Okay, so a few things. This is this gets in again. Almost everything in Revelation comes from an Old Testament passage. Okay. So the better you know your Old Testament, okay. the better you'll understand Revelation. That being said, this goes right back to Genesis. There's two trees in the garden. The garden, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, "Don't eat of that one." And then the tree of life. What is the tree of life? We aren't 100 percent sure. <laughs> we don't know. Is it a literal tree, and you eat the fruit? Because imagine any world. Imagine a world without sin. You could still get hurt, right? Yeah. You could still stub your toe. You're, you still have a body that does whatever bodies do, right? You, still, you might not get sick. There's no allergies, no disease. But so does the tree of life, literal fruit, literally heal you? Or is the tree of life metaphoric? We know the tree of life points to Jesus. And we also know Jesus is killed on a tree. And it removes the curse of mankind on a tree. None of these things are accidental in the scriptures. But so what we take of that is, you know, in the beginning, there's one tree of life. But in the end, down the river, there's a tree of life everywhere. Mm. Again, I think these things are metaphoric to point us to Jesus. I don't think it's literal fruit, but if it is, I don't care, right? If I'm wrong, who cares? I'll eat the fruit. I'll eat the fruit, <laughs> exactly. The whole point is God is there to heal the nations. So whatever brokenness and disease and war and famine and hurtful things and hateful things and rape and murder and abuse and molestation and all these things, imagine now the hand of a mighty father saying, I will heal and repair everything through the fruit of the tree. 
mm. of life, mm. which I believe is Jesus. Whether he gives us a literal tree or not, I don't know. And then again, and and he's he's now replaced the light. There'll be no more darkness, which, which the very first thing that happens in the creation story is God separates light and dark. And I think that's as much literal as it is metaphoric. It's he's separating good and evil, right? So there is no more evil. There's only light. Yeah. Now, is that literal? There'll never be a nighttime? I don't know. I just know that there'll never be a need for, because there's no separation of that anymore. It's God's presence with us finally and forever. I'm so thankful God gave us these little glimpses. And, and yet I'm so thankful he didn't give us all the answers because <laughs> it gives us something to long for, something to hope for. Uh, Matt, thanks for joining us here today. Mm-hmm.